sind ja beide so voll entspannt. Also ich bin entspannt, du bist entspannt. Und, ja. was? was? Was ist da? Also wo, wo, wo guckst du gerade hin? Was meinst du? Ich, ich guck dich an. Hello and welcome back to the final episode of In Her Lens, In Conversation, Hundefreund. For those who haven't listened before, hi, welcome. My name is Nadine and I am the producer and host of In Her Lens, a podcast which centers and celebrates underrepresented voices in film and TV. Currently, I'm running a couple of specials on this platform to widen the lens and welcome more conversation. Now, this is the last episode of the first special in conversation, Hundefreund. Hundefreund is a short film that was created by Silas Naidu, directed by Maisali Hedheb, and written by and starring Lamin Leroy Jibba. It's currently screening at different film festivals across the world, and you might have caught it at Tribeca Film Festival in New York or the BFI Flair in London. Here in this series, we've been getting to know the core team of the film, and in this episode, episode, we'll talk with the AD and intimacy coordinator, Carmen Ho. Carmen Ho, who welcomes any pronoun respectfully, is a filmmaker and photographer from Canada based in Berlin and is interested in themes of disconnection, trauma, grief and mental health. Carmen has worked behind the scenes on many different projects, ranging from shorts to features, documentaries, music videos and film festivals, working as an assistant director, a film operator, a gaffer, a videographer, an editor and a production manager. She received a film degree from the Met Film School in Berlin and has a humanities degree from York University in Toronto. In this episode, Carmen tells us about her studies in humanities and how it feeds the work in the film and TV and storytelling industry. She breaks down the timeline of shooting Hundefreund. We talk about what intimacy coordination is, how it functions on a set, and why it is necessary. Carmen shares how they formed a way of working, what it looks like on this set, about body mapping, tai chi, and qigong practices. Carmen pinpoints what she learned in the making of Hundefreund and why the experience matters in the larger scale of things. So, without further ado, here is the incredible Carmen Ho, the assistant director and intimacy coordinator of Hundefreund. Thank you so much for being here and talking about the new film Hundefreund. Before we hop in, I do want to do some kind of like rapid fire questions so that as listeners, we can kind of get to know you a little bit, kind of get to know uh, who Carmen is outside of the work. Um, are you down for that? Yeah, sure. Okay, so first one is dawn or dusk? Dusk. Tea or coffee? Tea. Wine or beer? Wine. <laughs> Travel to space or to the bottom of the ocean? Space. Your favorite subject in school? Uh, art. <laughs> um, do you prefer three-hour movies or ten-hour series? Um, Three-hour movies. Nice. Um, appetizer or dessert? Dessert. <laughs> a city that you think people should visit? Beirut. Mm. A city that you would like to visit? Um, there's too many. <laughs> yeah. Um, what's the last thing that you read, if you remember? I started reading Kitchen Confidential by Anthony oh. Bourdain. 
Yeah. yeah. Oh, interesting. Uh, do you prefer the beach or the mountains? Beach. Your go-to karaoke song. Ooh. Um, my heart will go on. <laughs> Such a good one. Uh, phone calendar or physical planner? Uh, phone calendar. Do you prefer fall or spring? Fall. What's an unmissable part of your routine? Um, drinking, starting the day with a cup of tea. And if you could have one cuisine for the rest of your life, what would it be? Sushi. <laughs> uh, do you prefer texting or calling? Texting. And what's the last thing that you watched? Oh, I watched a. Ah, I watched a documentary, Ascension. Thank you again for being here. Thank you for being a part of the Rapid Fire. Uh, if you can introduce yourself to us, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do and where you live. Um, so I'm Carmen. I'm. I'm originally from Toronto, but I grew up in Edmonton, which is on the other side of Canada. And I originally got a degree in humanities. Then I moved to Berlin and then got uh, another degree in filmmaking. And yeah, so I'm a freelance filmmaker, but I also have a mini job in a restaurant. <laughs> nice, cool. And so what, uh, what brought you to want to study humanities? Um, I wanted to just get to know different people in the world better like their cultures and also um it's such a it's such a diverse kind of major where you get to learn about the religion the cultures the languages um the literature of different cultures around the world and i thought it was very interesting to um learn about this when i first started learning i had no idea um what i was going to do with it but I found that it was kind of a good basis for filmmaking. Mm -hmm. And so you moved to Berlin. Was that because of filmmaking or what brought you to, to Germany? Um, I wanted to see Europe. I've never been to Europe before at that point. I wanted to see Europe, but I also wanted to do film school. So I thought I would kill two birds with one stone and just go for it. And how long have you been there now? More than eight years now. <laughs> okay. And what did the education in film look like for you? Where, where did you study and how was that experience studying film? So I studied in a private school um, in Berlin. It, the school's originally from London. So um, when I started, it was very chaotic because it was only the second year that they opened in Berlin. And um, every decision that they made had to go through London. So everything was super slow and getting even getting grades or feedback or anything, it had to go through London. So everything was just slow and we didn't really have a lot of resources. So it was fighting for very limited resources. So um, it was a really complicated process in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And is there a moment in your education or during those years that you kind of realized what kind of work you wanted to be a part of, of what, or what kind of work you wanted to focus on for yourself? Yeah, I think because our school didn't have um, specializations like many other film universities. So for us, it was more a lot of trial and error. And most people start off wanting to be directors, but then realizing that they like something else but for me I always wanted to stay as a director writer mm -hmm. so that has been the constant for me and how has kind of your degree in humanities and film manifested today do you still use a lot of what you've learned during your humanities how has that kind of developed you as an artist um I definitely use it a lot because um we did a lot of 
digging into why people think the way they did based on the, the time period they lived in, I think for filmmaking, it's very important because you want to understand where all these people are coming from, especially when you watch films from different cultures. It's good to have do some of your own research to understand why things are the way they are. And um, I think a lot of people don't do that enough or don't aren't lucky like me to have that kind of background. So they don't dig deeper. And sometimes you don't understand why certain people do things the way they do. Mm -hmm. And I think just having that basis to understand this gives a bit more empathy when you tell stories or when you encounter different types of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a big question. But what excites you about filmmaking as an art form and as a as an object in the world, really? Um, just telling stories, because that was the main thing that led me to filmmaking was telling stories and um, just being able to reach people from different places with the stories that I'm trying to tell. And just, I think there's no, nothing more interesting than being able to connect with someone from somewhere else mm -hmm. because there's a shared experience because I think films is a very, um, it's a multicultural thing. I think even if you're from a different culture, there's something in each story that is able to connect you because we're all humans and we have some kind of similar shared experience in some way. So we're here to talk about Hundefreunds, which is just mm -hmm. an incredible uh, short. How did you get involved with the project? Um, so I was looking for more work and um, projects that involve people of the global majority uh, because I've been working on a lot of stories that I didn't really fully believe in and it was kind of destroying my soul a bit. And also there was a lot of um, exploitation going on. And so I just wanted to work on a project that um, I believed in and that the people all believe in the story and that there's um, a lot of respect. And also stories that um, that center around the, the diasporas that I'm a part of and the people around me are a part of. So. I feel that it's still lacking a lot in Western cultures and also that like stories like this that, you know, that's centered on these dating stories. It seems simple. It's just a dating story to anyone else. But for us, it's like part of our daily life. So I think it's important to make these kind of stories. And that's why I wanted to be involved in Hundefreund. How did you meet the creative team? Where did that project begin for you? Um, so I've been following Maisa, the director, and Sailesh um, for a while on Instagram, and we kind of interacted a bit through Instagram, um, but we never really, and we saw each other around at different events, but never really fully um, had a proper conversation. But then I saw that they were looking for crews, so I jumped at the chance of getting to work with them. So tell us a bit about the roles that you did have during the process and what those looked like overall before we kind of delve into the specifics. Um, so I worked as the, the assistant director and also as the intimacy coordinator for this uh, project. And for me, it was very quite special because um, intimacy coordination is still relatively new as a role on films. And as far as I know, in Germany, there's only one intimacy coordinator. And it's 
for me, it's a it's a role that should be needed in any film that has an intimate scene. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was very special to be able to do this role. And what did pre-production look like for you? How did you prepare for both in the assistant director role and for intimacy coordination? So it was very interesting on Hundefreund because um, everyone on the crew had other projects and jobs going on. So it was very stressful for everyone in terms of scheduling. So many of us on the core team had to take on extra roles that we usually didn't do. So I did a lot of uh, interviewing and finding crew members, which uh, I it was a very scary thing for me because <laughs> I'm not really good with calling and, and talking with people that I've never met before. Um, so I did a lot of that interviewing and also, of course, looking for crew members and um, yeah, and trying to schedule the the whole shoot because we had time limitations because we were shooting in a very, very small flat, which is where Maisa used to live. And the neighbors are very sensitive to sound. So we also wanted to limit the hours that we were in the flat so that Maisa didn't get more problems from her neighbors. And so that was very stressful. And yeah, and then for intimacy coordination, I had, I've been doing my own research, movement research, because I wanted to reconnect with my body. So I kind of had to pull out all the things that I've studied before and see what would be good to use to help make the actors feel comfortable. There's an intimate scene that took, takes place through most of the film, which required a lot of different exercises from contact improvisation, Tai Chi, body mapping, qigong, contemporary dance. Uh, yeah, super interesting. I definitely want to talk um, more in depth about intimacy coordination. Um, but going back to interviewing crew, um, what was that process like? What were things that you were looking for? And what was the process of building uh, a team that you can trust? Because I know for all of you, uh, the trust and um, the reliance you have to have on each other was really high on your priority list. So what are things that you're looking for? And how do you find that in people what are your priorities so our main priority was because it was mostly a a BPOC crew and a lot of queer team members so it was very important for us to find people that are sensitive to this and um, would not cause harm or make anyone feel uncomfortable so that was our main process when interviewing people to make sure to to have an idea of how this person is if you know, if it would be a little bit uncomfortable, then we wouldn't want to have this kind of energy on our team. And yeah, and also just to see what kind of experiences they had and um, see if there's some chemistry even between the people who were interviewing, because of course, we wanted to create um, a set where people felt safe and comfortable around each other. It's a very small set, and there's going to be so many people stuck together for five days. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was going to be my next question. What was the timeline kind of like uh, from beginning to shooting? And what was your relationship like with Misa? Um, So we were lucky that we had several months before the actual shooting, but it was a little bit um, tricky finding certain crew members. So that in the end, it was a little bit 
stressful trying to find the last few members. Um, and then we had five days of shooting and it was, it was a little bit not enough time because the script is quite long. So we had to really rush, 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 rush. And, you know, as, as it happens on most film sets. When it's under pressure, how is your communication with Misa as an assistant director with the director? Um, how did that look for you? So what happened was that uh, me and Sarah, who was the script continuity, we would flip between us who communicates with who so that Misa didn't have to do all the communicating with people and one of us was near her at all times. And then, so then I can communicate directly to the producers in case we needed something. And, um, and then Sarah could also give feedback on the script for Misa in, in case anything came up. Okay, assistant directing, I feel like there's so much that comes to play in this role. Uh, what are the things that you find exciting about it? And how did those happen or manifest at Home the Floyds? What I like about assistant directing is because I'm not really good at focusing on one thing and my mind's always like all over the place. So it's, uh, that's why I felt like assistant directing is a really nice role for me because you always have to be thinking about everything all at the same time. You're always on your toes and you never get bored because there's always something happening and then just um, problem solving. I like that, like problem solving on the spot. I think it's very fun to do that. I mean, probably not so fun for the people involved who are stressing out, but, um, but also I like being able to, you know, observe people, try to see what they need in the moment. And I think that's a very vi vital role as an assistant director, just observing and finding the problem before it happens. Yeah, definitely. Okay, let's talk a bit about intimacy coordination. So talk a little bit about um, the education that you gave yourself, kind of, and the things you mentioned before through dance, through things like Tai Chi, etc. How did the, um, how did those things feed into this role and this um, this way of working, which I also think is vital and very necessary? Um, I think because a lot of the things that I've done, like Tai Chi and um, improvisation contact and stuff involves tr a lot of trust because you are touching people and oftentimes people you just met for the first time. And um, and I was actually dancing with a contemporary dance group for three years. Um, it was just one group for, together for three years, which is pretty much unheard of in Berlin where everyone's like coming and going all the time. And what was interesting about this group is that we don't really know much about each other, but in this space, we trust each other so much that like, there's no questions asked. We would, we would just trust each other and it, it made everything easier when we performed, when we danced together. But the challenge with filmmaking in, is that um, oftentimes you don't get rehearsal time or you get very little rehearsal time, if any at all. And so trying to get the actors to trust each other or like the director, AD and the actors to trust each other in a very short time for this kind of scene was is a challenge. So for me, um, what I wanted to start with was just doing some light breathing Tai Chi, uh, Qigong exercises at the beginning. So we arrive in the space and then doing some body mapping that we are aware of our own bodies and 
aware of the space and aware of... Um, Can you explain body mapping a bit to yeah. us just for the listeners who don't know what it is? Yeah, so basically you can either sit down or lie down and then um, close our eyes and then I would lead everyone through the whole body, like where feeling tension and to breathe deeper into that spot to push it out and just going through the whole body several times so that we're aware of every single body part and then just aware of how that body part is um, on the surface that we're touching and also in relation to each other, including the mapping of the space so that we remember mm -hmm. where everything is and where the exit is in case we feel uncomfortable. And um, I think it really helps to really be calm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it sounds yeah. like a really... Uh, incredible awareness technique. I know personally when I get really nervous or I get uncomfortable, you do kind of leave your body as like a fight mm -hmm. or flight or a protection mode. And it feels like a very powerful way in order to like kind of ground yourself in in your truth and your, your presence. Can you walk yeah. us through a couple of exercises that you would do with actors in order to build trust ahead of a shoot? Usually in Tai Chi, we do these exercises called push hands. And there's one exercise where it's um, leading and following where um, two people stand facing each other and one person has their hands on top of the other person's wrists and the one with the hands on top of the wrist have to close their eyes and then the person uh, with their hands under will lead them like just move around a bit slowly mm -hmm. and then slowly faster and the person with their hands on top have to leave their entire weight mm -hmm. to you know kind of build trust and also to show it also shows yourself if you're able to follow or lead and I think it's a nice small little exercise um, to start with before you involve other body parts and um, and also it's a good way to keep reminding the other person to like let go let go let go and just leave your weight on me I'm here and I will hold your weight for you mm -hmm. And then I would do some small exercises also from Qigong, uh, Tai Chi, where like you stand facing each other and you kind of push each other, but you have to move back. Mm. So it's like you're testing the weight of each other. So you want to slowly push the person, but you don't want to shove them over. So you have to kind of also trust each other in that way that this person is not trying to hurt me and shove me over. And this person is um steady and will you know adjust themselves to the weight that you're giving them super interesting yeah we touched on a little bit but why do we need an intimacy director or coordinator on set let's just say it right out let's talk about why we need it um well as i'm sure most people know that there's been a lot of um really inappropriate situations happening on set a lot of times it's power imbalance where the director or the producer would take advantage of um, new actors, actresses, and force them to do things that they're not comfortable with their body or even other actors who, um, who feel free to touch the other person in inappropriate ways. And one of the most famous cases of this is um i think maria schneider in last last tango in paris mm -hmm. um, where she was not aware of what was going to happen and they basically sexually assaulted her and um so i think it's important that we have intimacy coordination so that everyone is on the same page everyone knows exactly what is happening where the hand is moving where any body part is at all times 
so that there's no surprises. And then also, because, um, you know, in, in stunt coordination or dance in film, there's always a coordinator, you know, mm -hmm. so that everyone is safe. Then the actors can just learn the movement. And then on the day, they, they focus on acting. Mm -hmm. And so why not for intimate scenes, you know? Tell us a bit about how Hundefloind was on set. What was a memorable moment and what is a difficult moment? Um, how did that kind of... Um, so what was a very memorable moment was... Um, so in the, in the film, I won't spoil it for you, but there's a key. I won't tell you what it's for. And in one, in one take, the lead actor throws away the key. And we're about to shoot the next um, shot and we don't know where this key is <laughs> so we're in this really tiny bedroom with 17 crew members everyone's crawling around over each other searching for this key this tiny key no one could find it for like five minutes um <laughs> our producer silas is like okay i'm gonna go home and and get the backup key and so we send them off and, and then finally we find the key. So we tell them to come back and then they come back and then somehow we lost the key again. <laughs> so it was, uh, it was kind of really hilarious, but we, we managed to find it and it was all fine, but it was really so funny. It seems it always been funny. Just tiny objects that it's. Uh... Yeah. And for difficult moments, I think in general, just the fact that we had 17 crew members in a really small space because this apartment is for one person and you have 17 people, equipment everywhere, hot lights, and then trying to keep social distancing and wearing masks because it's still COVID time. So that was really, really challenging. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And just trying not to like destroy everything and everyone. Yeah. <laughs> um, what was a unique thing about this process and how did you grow as an artist throughout it? Um, I think what was unique is just the everyone was so kind to each other and for example like the first time we all met together as a crew well most of us because uh, we were still searching for some of the last members at the time but um, we were going around um, asking everyone's opinions about the script and everyone had a similar experience and so it was really sad but at the same time it's it feels nice kind of like I'm not alone in this and that everyone here understands um, why we're making this film. And I felt that was really, really important that you don't get quite often because it's just like, oh, everyone's here and then we're just working and that's it. But here it's we understand why we're telling this story. Incredible to hear. I want to kind of zoom out and talk a little bit still and then kind of reflect with you also on your on your work. What filmmakers do you look to uh, for inspiration and uh, what kind of work impacts you? Um, so for me, I really like um, I really like filmmakers who really obsess over their stories and also make it a priority to be kind and have a no asshole policy. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but <laughs> yeah, so so that's why. Um, when I when I find that a director is really disrespectful to the people they work with, I, I lose a lot of respect for these directors. And a lot of classic directors are guilty of this. Um, so, I mean, when a 
when a crew is really stressed out, the last thing they need is someone screaming at them or, you know, just being unpleasant. And there's several filmmakers who I think are really incredible for this. For example, Michaela Cole, mm-hmm. um, Andre Tarkovsky, Olivia Wilde, like she actually writes in her contract that there's uh, no asshole policy. What I think also important with the work that we do is um, it's people-based and it's for people. And so we would hope that we would treat people with kindness and respect. Yeah. What are the realities of having a career in film and being an artist? And how has this been for you in Berlin, but also just throughout your uh, your adult life? Ooh, that's a heavy question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think in general, it's just very difficult for people in minority groups to get funding or to even advance further compared to others. Um, I mean, you can see it in festivals everywhere, like who the majority filmmakers are and even on screens what the uh, majority stories are being told. And also, of course, there's a lot of exploitation and entitlement on set. I mean, Germany is a little bit better in the, for example, the U.S. in that respect, because it's the stories that I've been hearing from the crews in the U.S. is insanity that people will just die to protect a camera because they're so scared of getting in trouble. But then you lose your life for what? And for me, um, I think the important thing is to try to find your own way and find people that you trust, that you enjoy working with. And another thing to learn is that sometimes you have to tell stories that people that the industry wants you to tell in order to get funding so then it becomes kind of a a struggle for yourself on whether you want to create something you believe in and maybe not get the funding for it or just um or just get the money and and pay your rent and I think that's why a lot of filmmakers get lost as well because it's it's a daily struggle what do you think that Hundefreund taught you and what would you hope that it will teach others? Um, it taught us to be more kind and considerate and um, also I think hopefully people will see the film and um, see the difficulties that you know, dating people from certain diaspora is and that maybe they will put more effort into educating themselves to better love and support their the people they're with. And instead of allowing all the work to solely fall on one person, because, you know, there should be mutual um, support and someone should not have to also deal with this in a relationship, you know, mm-hmm. and... Um, And also everyone should work on their traumas (laughs) to avoid hurting each other. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Carmen, for being a part of this conversation. I am thrilled for everyone to see this short. It's incredible. And I'm really grateful that you guys made it. So thank you. Thank you for inviting me. (laughs) Such a beautiful time getting to know Carmen. Thank you. I appreciate you hopping on so much. You can check out Carmen's work and samples of it on their website, which I've linked in the episode notes. 
You can also follow Carmen on Instagram at Dreambox, but the E is a three and the O is a zero. Carmen's work and her work as an intimacy coordinator is vital in this industry and in so many others in the practice of respectful, healthy collaboration. And I strongly urge everyone to look into the protective practices in their workplace. Now, this was the very last episode of this special In Conversation Hundefreund. I know I am the creator of this podcast and I stand behind the content that streams here, but I just want to emphasize and highlight this unique story that we just got to follow. A film created by people with a vision and a deep passion and heart, people who fought and remained resilient in their path and trust in the work, despite the larger systems of exclusion based on race, gender, sexual identity, and gender identity actively working to silence. This film and how it was made is a really unique gift that was given to us from these people that we've gotten to know and many others who worked on and off set. So I want to thank the whole team for creating this film, which is, now that it's being seen, also seeing people and their story. We caught some incredible artists at a very special time in their careers. And I, for one, really look forward to following and interacting with the work that they are going to create for years to come. So thank you, Maisa Lee Hedhub, Silish Naidu, Lamin Leroy Jibba, Joan Ling Lee Nesbit Chang, Louis Malcolm Rice, and Carmen Ho for joining me in this special. A big thank you to you for listening in and joining the ride. I can't wait to hear what you think of Hundefreund when you see it, when it screens near you, or even online. Please follow the film on Instagram to see when that might be, at hundefreund.film. I'll, of course, keep you updated on the podcast Instagram, at Podcast. Now, before you go, quickly, two things. Number one. I would really appreciate it if you leave a quick review. Anything from feedback to an emoji to how you feel about this work or the podcast in general. Reviews are a way for a podcast to grow on the charts and reach new people. So leave a five-star review and a couple of words, maybe recommendations on who to talk to next. I don't know. I will keep an eye on them. And secondly, I mentioned last time that we're doing a series of specials here on In Her Lens, and the next one starts next month on August 8th. Not too long ago, I worked on a small project with the Brooklyn Public Library for New York History Day. Uh, in that project, I talked with working documentary filmmakers about specifically using archival footage in their films. These filmmakers were brilliant, very successful, and mostly full of advice. Check back in in August and we'll talk documentary. Till then, stay safe and healthy, catch a ray of sunshine, have a drink of choice for me, and I will see you very soon. Cheers. Bye.